Hey friends, welcome back to the Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me again for this week's message. Today we are talking about the need for truth. Uh, in today's world, we have a crisis of truth. People cannot agree on what is true and what is not. We can't agree on what is real and what isn't real. We can't agree on a common set of facts. How can we understand what really is true? How do we determine that? And how can we have confidence that what we believe is correct? I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message on the need for truth. In the summer of 1999, at a small school in the Belgian town of Bornem, nine children came down with a mysterious illness. They'd come to school that morning with no symptoms, but after lunch, they were ill. They had headaches, vomiting, and palpitations. Casting about for an explanation, the only thing the teachers could think of was the Coca-Cola they had drunk during break. It didn't take long for journalists to get wind of the story. Over at the Coca-Cola headquarters, the phones started ringing. That evening, the company issued a press release stating that millions of bottles were being recalled from Belgian store shelves. Their spokeswoman said, we are searching frantically and hope to have a definitive answer in the next few days. But it was too late. The symptoms had spread throughout Belgium and jumped the border into France. Pale, limp kids were being rushed off in ambulances. Within days, suspicion had spread to all Coca-Cola products. Fanta, Sprite, Nestle, and Aquarius. They all seemed like a danger to children. The Coca-Cola incident was one of the worst financial blows in the company's 107-year history, forcing it to recall 17 million cases of soft drinks in Belgium and destroy its warehouse stock. In the end, it cost the company more than $200 million. Then something odd happened. A few weeks later, the toxicologists issued their laboratory report. What had they found after running tests on the cans of Coke? They had found nothing. No pesticides, no pathogens, no toxic metals, nothing. And their tests on the blood and urine samples from hundreds of patients? Nothing. The scientists were unable to find a single chemical cause of the severe symptoms, which by that time had been documented in more than 1,000 boys and girls. One of the researchers said, those kids were really sick. There is no doubt about it. But... They were not sick from drinking Coke. 
The Coca-Cola incident speaks to an age-old philosophical question. What is truth? Some things are true whether you believe them or not. Water boils at 100 degrees Celsius. Smoking kills. President Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas on November 22, 1963. Other things have the potential to be true, if we believe in them. Sociologists call this self-fulfilling prophecies. If you predict a bank will fail and that convinces a lot of people to close their bank accounts, then the bank will fail. There's also what has been called the placebo effect. If your doctor gives you a fake pill and says it will cure what ails you, chances are you will feel better. The more dramatic the placebo, the bigger the chance. The ultimate placebo is surgery. A broad review by the British Medical Journal compared necessary surgical procedures that people really needed with sham surgical procedures that people didn't really need. They discovered that the placebo surgeries helped people feel better in about three quarters of the cases, and they were half as effective as the real ones. If you take a fake pill thinking it will make you sick, it probably will. If your doctor warns you that a drug has serious side effects, it probably will. So what happened to those hundreds of schoolchildren in Belgium in 1999? It's possible that there was something wrong with one or two of the Cokes the kids drank, but the scientists were unequivocal. Most of the kids had been infected by what they called a mass psychogenic illness. In other words, they imagined it. It wasn't really true. This is not to say the kids were pretending. More than a thousand kids genuinely felt nausea, dizzy, and had fevers. If you believe something enough, it can become real. We are what we believe. We find what we are looking for, and what we predict often comes true. It's very difficult for society to function in a healthy way if we don't know the truth. It's very problematic to function effectively as a country if we don't agree on the facts. It's important that we know the truth, that we speak the truth, and that we act on the truth. How do we do that? First of all, it all begins with knowing Christ. In John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Jesus is the truth. If you know Christ, you know the truth. It all begins with our Savior. If you want to know what is real and what is right, we need to keep growing in our knowledge of Christ. 
When you become a Christian, God gives you the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, which means he is the Spirit of Truth. In John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And then in John 16, 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into the truth. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life on a daily basis. He is leading you into the truth. So the most important way for us to know the truth is to personally know Christ and his Holy Spirit. The second most important way for us to know the truth is to know the Bible. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This tells us that the words of the Bible are not just human words. These are not just the writings of some highly inspired people. The Bible is not just a human book. What we have in the scriptures is the word of God. The truth that we need and the truth that we can understand originated with God and has been revealed by God to us in the Bible. Back in 1873, the great Princeton Seminary professor Charles Hodge wrote a paper called The Protestant Rule of Faith. He began his paper with these words. All Protestants agree in teaching that the word of God, as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. The Westminster Confession teaches under the name of Holy Scripture, or the Word of God written, are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament, all of which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. Over the last 150 years, some churches have moved away from this position, but the vast majority of churches around the world still hold to it. The Bible is our only infallible rule of faith and practice. The Bible gives us the truth of God that we need to live our lives. In the United Methodist Church, our Articles of Religion affirm the Bible as the source of all that is necessary and sufficient unto salvation. And our Confession of Faith says that the Bible is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. We need the truth as individuals. We need the truth as the church, and we need the truth for our society. The Bible is the truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reiterates this, but it takes it one step further. 
It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here, Paul is reiterating the doctrine that all of the Bible is inspired by God. But he takes it another step further. He said it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So thirdly, that means we need to know we need correction. Even though we have the truth, sometimes we still come to believe things that aren't true. Sometimes we still believe things that are wrong or are not accurate. We need to be humble enough to accept rebuking and correcting if need be. Some people today, including some Christians, are not open to being corrected. They are obstinate, close-minded, and set in their ways. They are not open to the fact that they might believe something wrong. They might not have all the facts, or they might have come to the wrong conclusion. As confident as we are that we have the truth of God in the Bible, we always need to remain open to being corrected, knowing that sometimes we misunderstand, sometimes we are incorrect, and we need people to lovingly correct us. This is why we need the church. This is why it is so important to belong to a community of truth so that we can correct one another and because holding and maintaining the truth is a communal effort. This is what Jonathan Rao argues for in his book, The Constitution of Knowledge. He writes this, in an uncertain world, where does objective knowledge come from? Not from the certitude of any individual. On any given day, even the highest minded of researchers will frequently disagree on who is doing good science or real science and who is doing bad science or bending the rules. Objectivity, rationality, and factuality all live in a reality-based network. And then he uses this illustration. He says, people are like bees and society is like a beehive. Our intelligence resides not in individual brains, but in the collective mind. To function, individuals rely not only on knowledge stored within our skulls, but also on our knowledge stored elsewhere, in our bodies, in our environment, and in other people. Human thought is incredibly impressive, but it is the product of the community, not of any individual alone. We have a crisis of truth in our world today. Many people don't know what is true and what isn't. People don't know what to believe. People don't know if there is any objective truth. Some think all truth is relative. So people will talk about my truth and your truth and your truth as if we all make up our own truth. 
but it's difficult for society to function effectively if we can't agree on the facts. Fourthly, in his book, Jonathan Rao argues for this concept that there needs to be a community of truth. We need to live in a reality-based community where we agree on what is real. He suggests that many different aspects of society have to work together to maintain and support the truth. We need not only individuals, but families, churches, and schools. We need the law, law enforcement, and government. We need research groups, universities, journalists, writers, speakers, leaders, TV and radio broadcasters, and YouTubers and podcasters who will all stand up in support of the truth. But the truth is under attack. Some people today are pressured not to tell the truth about disease and infection because it goes against what some want to believe. Some people today are pressured not to count votes truthfully, honestly, and accurately, because the real results might show that my enemy actually won the election. Some people today go on TV and online and say things that are blatantly untrue because it gets them more viewers, <clears throat> higher ratings, and makes them more money. <clears throat> Unless we have people who have the character, ethics, and integrity to speak the truth and stand up for the truth, our society will have difficulty functioning properly. The church has always existed as a community of truth. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19, Paul writes this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christianity is not just somebody's good idea that we hope is true. It really is true. And Paul is saying that if we discovered it wasn't true, we would be wasting our time. If we discovered Christ really didn't rise from the dead, then everything we have been teaching would be a lie. And we would be the most pitied people in the world. But it is true. It is real. 
Why do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is true? Because the evidence proves it. Because Jesus' grave was empty on Easter morning. Because we have 500 witnesses who saw him alive after his death. And because the disciples went from people who were so scared they abandoned Jesus to save their own skins to people who weren't afraid to die for their belief that he had come back to life. No other explanation justifies their transformation. There is an old Jewish parable about the clock in the village square. A visitor to town observed a workman raising the clock far above eye level and wondered whether this was being done to increase visibility. No, a villager replied. It was being done to place it beyond arm's reach. Because people would walk by and continually adjust the hands on the clock. If a person's watch said 11.02, but the clock said 11 o'clock, the person would change the clock. Then the next person would come along and change it to match his watch. The next person would come along to change it to match his watch. Eventually, there was no reason to believe that the clock told the true time. After the clock was raised, the people started adjusting their watches to match the clock rather than adjusting the clock to match their watches. It was then that they could all agree on a common time. We need a truth that is higher than we are. Instead of adjusting truth to match our own personal watches, we need to adjust our own personal watches to match the truth that is higher than we are. Part of our witness to our world and part of our ministry to our world is to let people know there is a higher objective truth. You can know it and we need to adjust our lives to it. How can we know the truth? It all comes down to knowing Christ, knowing the Bible, knowing that sometimes we need correction, and knowing that we need to be a part of a community of truth. Jesus is the truth, and the Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth. The truth does exist. We need to know it. We can know it. And we need to help others know it too. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.